Today's podcast episode is sponsored by Gabrielle Hartley, the creator of the Better Apart Method. Gabrielle and her best-selling book, Better Apart, The Radically Positive Way to Separate, have been featured in People Magazine, The New York Times, The New York Post, Vice, U.S. News and World Report, and many other media outlets. Everyone's talking about Better Apart. In fact, even Gwyneth Paltrow loves the book and said that it's full of potent tools for you and your family. Now, the Better Apart Masterclass is available to you online. And for a limited time, you gain access to a special one-on-one mini consultation with Gabrielle herself. Using the powerful tools provided in the Better Apart Masterclass, you can begin to get clear, feel better, and reclaim your life. So head over to GabrielleHartley.com and sign up today. Use the code BEYOND25 to receive $25 off the cost of the Masterclass. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. The second part of this is really part of, I think, the premise of the idea that uh, we're thinking about negotiation only in these scary, competitive, all stakes uh, kind of situations. And the fact of the matter is we all negotiate every day. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today's guest is someone that I have wanted to bring on for such a long time, so I'm very thrilled that she's here today. She literally wrote the book that teaches lawyers how to negotiate, so there's no one better for you all to learn from as you proceed to negotiate one of the most important agreements of your life, your divorce settlement. Um, So let me introduce you to my guest, Professor Andrea Schneider. Andrea is a professor of law at Marquette University Law School, and she teaches ADR, ethics, and negotiation. Um, She's also the inaugural director of the Institute for Women's Leadership at Marquette, and she's the director of their nationally ranked ADR program. She's also a prolific author. When you look through her bio, you'll see a number of publications that she has either contributed to or authored. Most um, relevant, I think, to what we're going to be talking about today is her most recent publication called Negotiation Essentials for Lawyers, uh, which is through the American Bar Association. And that one is, I happen to know, it's flying off the shelves. The section, dispute resolution section, is thrilled with it. Um, And I think it says something. If this is someone who can teach lawyers who, you know, this is a basic part and and such an integral part of our job, and she's teaching lawyers how to negotiate every day. Um, I think this is something that I think you will understand she's going to be able to impart a lot of knowledge and a lot of help to you as you go into this. One other note, I do want to mention she has a wonderful TEDx talk called Women Don't Negotiate and Other Similar Nonsense, which is one of my favorite TED Talk titles. (laughs) So I, I I will put a link to that in my um, in the show notes. But I just I'm thrilled to have her here today. Thank you uh, for joining us, Andrea. 
Thank you, Susan. I'm happy to be here. So I see you there. For those who are watching this on YouTube, Andrea's in her office. I just told her when we were getting started, she looks like a professor with all those <laughs> books and everything behind her. Um, and I, 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 I am excited to do this episode on negotiation because as a divorce attorney and then a divorce mediator, when it comes to this idea of negotiating, most people, I mean, we have people every day who is a part of their business world, they do negotiate. But for many, many people, they don't think negotiation is in their skill set. It's not something they think they do every day. And then all of a sudden, they find themselves facing divorce or other, you know, conflict in their lives. And I hear this all the time, I can't negotiate. I don't want to negotiate. <laughs> I want someone else to do it for me. I'm going to be taken advantage of. So you teach, Andrea, people how to negotiate. Can anyone learn how to negotiate? Well, I think I would start from two different places. First is that negotiation is a skill. It's like any other activity that we engage in. The more that we engage in it, the better and more comfortable we feel at it. So you know, if you were learning to play tennis, I'd say get out on the court and hit balls until, you know, practice your forehand, practice your backhand, right? We would tell our kids learning soccer to get out in the backyard and kick a ball around. Um, I think anybody can improve their skill set. We all come to this playing field, as it were, with a different level of skills. Some of us, uh, have been told since the time we were young, we're very good listeners, we're able to gather a lot of information. Others of us have been really good at arguing, and perhaps that is why we were directed into law school, perhaps. Um, I think that's part of the story in my family is I would argue over my curfew and my mom said, please go to law school for that. Uh, so <laughs> no right? career counselor needed. We no, know. like, please argue for a living. <laughs> um, right. And so some of us come in different levels of skills, um, but that doesn't mean that we can't improve them. My mentor, Roger Fisher, uh, I remember taking negotiation and he would say, look, even the stars at Wimbledon uh, will bring their tennis coaches with them. It doesn't matter how good you are. There's always coaching to be done. Uh, and so whether you're somebody who's really comfortable with negotiation already or whether you're someone who feels like you're just starting out, I think there are definite things that we can all improve on. Um, the second part of this is really part of, I think, the premise of the idea that uh, we're thinking about negotiation only in these scary, competitive, all stakes uh, kind of situations. And the fact of the matter is we all negotiate every day. We are negotiating with our spouses. We are negotiating with our kids. Um, probably. Definitely with your kids. Yeah. Right. And unsuccessfully, right? There's nothing like a teenager to make sure that he or she is challenging whatever level of competence you feel uh, in terms of your communication skills, uh, right? Toddlers, teenagers, terrorists, there's a reason they all begin with T. Right, we, we are negotiating with our neighbors at work for how our workload gets divided. Um, all of these are day-to-day -day interactions and, and we don't think of them as negotiation, so we don't think we're, we're all negotiators. We are, we negotiate all the time. I think part of the challenge is when we get to these uh, very high stakes negotiation or when we're nervous or we think uh, we're negotiating for salary or divorce or whatever it is, um, we're not reflecting on the skill set that we already have and the practice that we already have. 
Um, so one of my first pieces of advice for any of us as we're starting out, and I would say this to my law students or trainings or anything, is to just start building an awareness of what is already happening around you. Um, reflect. Wow, that conversation went well. What did I do? How, did, how was I persuasive there? And how could I do that again? Um, and on the converse, when it's not such a successful conversation, uh, you know, and we're all in the car ride home going, oh, I wish I had said that. Um, <laughs> all right. So what does that teach us? And how could we either better prepare for that conversation the next time? Um, or how would we delay that conversation until we'd had more time to think about it? Uh, and again, taking these day-to-day -day opportunities just to recognize that we are already negotiating. Um, because there's no alleviating the stress of a high stakes negotiation, right? I'm not gonna pretend that all of the skills and training in the world is going to make you feel better about what are really stressful situations. What we can hope to do is that we've built some muscle memory into our system already and that we're a little more comfortable with what's happening and that we have that comfort level leading in to these very stressful situations. Well, that and that's a very key point. I love that you said that because so many people think that a good negotiator doesn't feel any stress or does it, you know, we just, I, I negotiate every day of my life for the past 30 years now, right? It's my job. I get paid to do it. But first off, people, I, I didn't know how to do that. I didn't back 30 years ago when I went to law school. Guess what? I don't remember that we even had classes on negotiation. I didn't learn how to negotiate until one of our senior partners took me under his wing when I was a baby lawyer, an associate. And I remember him telling me, like, you don't go in there with your best offer. Leave some fat on the bone. You know, all these. I didn't know what he was talking about. Um, but I'll tell you that even today when I'm negotiating on behalf of a client and it's a big stakes case, I still have to, you know, do the steps, do the work. And I go in there and I'm still I'm negotiating for someone else or if I'm negotiating for myself, still nerve wracking. Right. But there's a lot that you can do to be prepared and to try and make sure that it goes well for you. And I think that's a lot of what you can do to prepare. Right. And I think harnessing that emotional energy, recognizing that it is normal, that it is passion for the work or for um, the cause or for yourself on, you know, I want to get through this, um, that that's both understandable, permissible, uh, and can be positively used. Um, we would all want lawyers to be passionate on our behalf. Uh, we expect that there's going to be emotion tied to the negotiations that are the most important to us. Right. We're not getting emotional if we're negotiating over the price of a, um, you know, handyman coming into the house or, you know, filling up our car. Right. OK, so big deal. I'll go to the place next door. We are, of course, going to get far more emotional when it's important to us. Good. That just right. is the signal of we really need to pay attention to what is important to us and to put that time in advance to preparing exactly as you've noted. Yep. And, and, and I think, you know, certainly going into a divorce negotiation, whichever method you're using to, you know, if you're litigating, even, even in litigation, I think one of the statistics that people don't 
know about divorce is that 95% of cases go to judgment with some sort of negotiated agreement. Almost no cases actually go to trial. Everybody thinks of the man or the woman in the black robe telling them what to do, but that's not how it works. I I will tell you, 95% or more of the cases in some way come to a settlement. So that negotiation is a critical part of the process and in making sure that your negotiated agreement then complements your life after that. This is your opportunity to have your input into the process so that you can make sure what's negotiated is actually what works best for you. Um, So, you know, if someone's, your book is Negotiation Essentials for Lawyers. That's the most recent one. I just got it. It's, it's, quite a tome. <laughs> it's an, it's, I don't, I don't have it here. It's downstairs. Cause I was reading it last night, but it's, it's a hefty book. Um, but I think the negotiation essentials really apply to anybody who's going to be negotiating. So I was thinking it would be helpful to people to break those down. Sure. Um, so wh- what's the first step in preparing for a negotiation? Well, and I think the first step is to prepare. Um, It is amazing to me how many times people will walk into a negotiation and just say, oh, let's hear what they have to say. Or, you know, this is just exploratory or, you know, I don't need to make any commitments or decisions now. Um, And that that's already shooting yourself in the foot. That's already hampering your ability to craft an agreement that you want, as you've noted. Most of these divorce, uh, most divorces will end in some sort of settlement. If you don't know where you're going, it's really hard to get there. So, right. So step one is, you know, if you could wave a magic wand, what is this going to look like a year from now, two years from now? What are your priorities, whether they are yourself, your children, financial, housing, location? Um, Are there particular holidays that are absolutely important to you and others that are irrelevant. Um, I come from a divorce family and we very early discovered that, you know, Thursday night of Thanksgiving was really important to my dad and my mom could care less. She was happy to take Friday night, right? And we never ever had any arguments about how to divide that because it was just done. that's the kind of thing that, you know, maybe there are things that are really important and maybe there are things that are not. Um, following the advice of your colleague, I wouldn't announce all of those on the first day of the negotiation, um, right? That's a different strategy. But yes. you internally, with by yourself, with a colleague, with a sibling, with a parent, with your lawyer, really the first step is to understand what is most important to you. What are your goals? What are your interests? Where do you want to end up? Um, And that's the most important thing. Um, I think then you start putting together research behind that. So why is that fair? Why is that logical? Um, Most of us get that if there's a heterosexual couple divorcing with kids, mom is getting Mother's Day and dad is getting Father's Day. And we don't really go into lots of explanations about that. Um, But for everything else, you know, what is not only the legal standard, but what's the other kinds of standards in the area? Um, Have you already made schooling decisions that make sense to continue? Um, Right, kind of what's the lay of the land in terms of, what's going to feel fair and persuasive. Um, 
it's important not only because we understand we're going to use that to hopefully persuade the other side, um, but you are better at arguing when you yourself understand what your positions are based on, what your interests, you know, what what's really what in the literature we would say criteria, right? What's the criteria right. that you're using? Um, and we find that negotiators are more patient, uh, are willing to negotiate back and forth more uh, when they have set those goals. Uh, and those goals are based on justifiable criteria. So that's another step that I would take in terms of your preparation is you've you figured out where you want to go and what your interests are. Um, and now you want to set your goals and understand why those are justifiable goals. Um, and then the last piece of that is to really understand your limits. Um, and at what point, you know, where is there just a no go, you know, you really need to think hard about um, whether it's a financial limit or, a, a, you know, other kind of arrangement um, that you kind of want to flag to yourself of, mm, I'm not going there or, and it's not necessarily that I'm going to therefore end up in court. Um, it may well be, but here's where I'm going to call a pause. Here's where I want to get up at the table and really understand what all the trade-offs are uh, before I go below this line, whatever this is uh, in any of the variety of things that you might be negotiating in these cases. Right. And that could be, you know, time with your kids right. or money or any of those things. I think that's a critical distinction for people to make, um, you know, and inherent. One thing that you said that I just wanted to comment on because I really like the distinction, um, you know, everyone thinks that coming up with your facts and doing your research um, is arguing like a negotiation is an argument. Right. Um, and then you use the word persuading. And right. I think there's a distinction there because a, a negotiation does not necessarily need to be an argument. We call it that. And for some reason in a courtroom, we argue, even though what we're really trying to do is persuade the judge to see right. things our client's way. It's a persuading. So I love that you made that distinction. And I, I'd like people to think of it that way as they go to the table, so to speak, to negotiate. Um, I think one of the other things that jumped out in what you were just saying there is you've talked about understanding and getting a grip on what you want right. and what your goals are. I think there's also an important step and people who have been married to each other may have some advantage here because you need to know what's incentivizing the other side as well and have some idea of what their priorities are. So maybe you can, ex you know, extrapolate out on that a little bit. Right. And I think that's a, another piece of that preparation is you should know, obviously, what's important to you. When we look at criteria and what's going to be persuasive to your counterpart, obviously understanding what's important to them is crucial, right? Rather than, you're ne or I should say, let's look at the counter. You're never going to be persuasive to convince somebody on things that are important to you and are irrelevant to them. They are going to be persuaded by things that are important to them. So if your counterpart is really concerned with financial security, then you need to persuade him or her that what you are proposing will help their financial security, right? That this is a better option for them given all of the choices. Or if both of you, and we hope that both parents do often value the best interests of the child um, or want stability for the kids, that stability is really, really important. 
um, than a commitment to keep them in the school district. Right? What is it going to take that the kids will stay in the school district? That means that one of us have to be living in the school district uh, you know, for the next however long they are little, or that we are going to commit to put money aside into the educational trust fund so that we can afford the private education that has already started for them, right? or whatever it is. But you are persuading them based on a value that they have articulated, not your own value, but their value. And yes, it's, the longer you've been married, uh, the more likely it is that you could at least hazard a guess as to what's important to your counterpart. Um, and so I really do think that at the beginning of a negotiation, it's not at all arguing. It's really this exchange of understanding each other's goals and interests because then you get to sell them on what's persuasive to them. Um, and that's the way to really get it done. Arguing, you know, the idea of when you say argue or when I say argue, it sounds like it's, you know, somebody standing up and we get the television show, uh, you know, kind of vision in our mind of where we're going to be super logical and, you know, and here's what we're doing. Uh, and we think that pounding the table or volume or whatever it is is going to be persuasive. Um, and that's definitely not how negotiation is going to work. It's a voluntary settlement. So yelling at people usually isn't persuasive. Um, you've got to be persuading them on what's important to them. Taking a quick break here to announce my new webinar training for family mediators. I get so many questions about how I have set up my family mediation practice that I decided to turn it into a training. So I have a brand new webinar that's going to go over all you need to know to actually set up your practice to move your mediations along. We're going toward efficiency, client satisfaction, how to use technology in troubleshooting. We're going to talk about establishing processes and procedures, how to have effective consultations, how to be efficient in the fact and data gathering, document preparation, how to establish your fees, how to streamline the process with an agenda, and so much more. And of course, I'm going to have some tips for online family law mediations as well. So if you're interested, go to learntomediateonline.com and find out more and register. If you are enjoying this episode, check out Redefining Motherhood, a brave new perspective from a non-custodial mom, Susan Eckstein. I finally found the courage to ask for a divorce, and when he finally agreed and said, okay, let's divorce, um, he said, I want to keep the kids here. I want the kids to stay with me. And I remember my heart sinking in that moment because I ultimately knew that that was the right decision to make. Stay tuned for more from Susan and her guest, Professor Andrea Schneider, who shares her insider tips on negotiating like a pro. There are fewer resources, right? When you were dividing one household into two and now there's two rents and there might be additional expenses. Um, it's not to say that negotiation or mediation is magically going to make everybody happy. It just won't. Uh, and so to understand that you are fitting this puzzle together as, a, and I love that visual, um, 
try to give them the puzzle pieces that don't matter to you as much. And now we return to today's show. Yeah, it's really convincing them that what you're proposing is what works well for them. Um, I'm always surprised when I'm doing mediations that people will come in and say, I want this. I want that. This is why I want it. And why aren't you giving it to me? And there's, you know, there's absolutely no focus on why you might want to give it to me or, or, you know, and the other thing that's that's sort of key, I think, for people to to remember is that. Unless it's the simplest of negotiations where you're talking about who's going to get the last brownie. And even with that one, you could split the brownie in in half. half. Right. Yeah. Right. I'll keep the frosting side. (laughs) (laughs) I want the nuts. (laughs) Or I want the whole brownie because I want the brownie. But um, there's also, you know, a divorce negotiation is this huge plethora of of issues that need to be resolved. It's a puzzle. Mm -hmm. And so when you're talking about what's important to you and also keeping in mind what's important to the other side, the idea to come to an agreement is often to find and give them as much of what they want so that you can get as much of what you want as well, you know. And, and I think that's, again, really important to come in and to try to understand what's most important to them and um, and to recognize, look, sometimes it, it's not, there are fewer resources, right? When you were dividing one household into two and now there's two rents and there might be a, additional expenses. Um, it's not to say that negotiation or mediation is magically going to make everybody happy just won't. Uh, and so to understand that you are fitting this puzzle together as, a, and I love that visual, um, try to give them the puzzle pieces that don't matter to you as much, um, because then you're going to get the pieces that matter more to them. Um, and that might just be a, um, you know, what I've called sometimes the best of bad options, right? It's a Bobo. It's, it's not, um, right. It's, it's not a perfect world. Um, but it is the best of the not great choices that you have right now. Um, and so how do we move forward in trying to find the best of these choices, uh, for each party? Yeah. And I love Bobo. I'm going to have to use that. Okay. Feel free. Um, Bobo. Uh, my next mediation, when somebody out there who, who might be my client, hears me say Bobo, you'll Bobo. Now know where it's coming from. Absolutely. But, uh, I think another thing for, uh, divorce negotiations that often comes up um, where I, you have a heterosexual relationship, a man and a woman. You talked about this when I first met you at the ABA conference earlier this year. You spoke about gender differences in negotiation, and that is a very real distinction. And it's a great source of fear, I will say, for mostly my female clients or clients going in. They feel, well, my husband's out there. He's a deal maker. He negotiates every day. He's going to walk right over me. I hear it all the time. Right. So it's an area where there's a great deal of fear. And then men go crazy because they're like, she won't make up her mind. She dithers around on this and that. And they've, you know, there's, it creates anxiety and anger. So Tell us more about these gender differences. So I should say always, as as I did before when I speak on this, the caveat that there is um, 
you know, that we're all on a bell curve of whatever we talk about these things. Um, part of the reason that I started researching gender differences is that when I first learned about them, I thought they were crap. <laughs> I was like, I, I'm like, this is garbage. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't fit in these and this doesn't work for me. Um, so if what I'm about to say doesn't work for some of your readers, at least some of your listeners, um, yes, I agree. By all means, these are broad brush and they don't apply across the board. And we've definitely, um, and as I'm sure you have seen, uh, je- you know, couples where uh, it is the woman who is the uh, talking louder and more assertively um, and aggressive and the man who is better at listening and being empathetic. Uh, um, and, and those happen all the time. The typical, I would say the, the more typical thing, or at least what we fear uh, is that um, and, and for many of us, it's, it's been socialized. There's not a biological reason that women are not as assertive or as confident. This is all about socialization. Uh, and look, the ending of a marriage uh, is, uh, makes you question your confidence. I think there's there's no doubt about that in terms of, uh, you know, I made a choice. <laughs> this isn't working anymore. Oops. And oops, and now I'm unwinding that. And so, again, that's one of the situations where just by virtue of the context, you have both parties that could be questioning their decision making. Um, and when parties feel threatened and defensive, um, they tend toward the not best parts of their behavior, right? And so if you are already uh, someone who is feeling less secure about your skills, being in a divorce negotiation isn't going to make you feel better about it, right? And if you are someone who, when you get defensive, tends to cut people off, not listen as well, um, judge, and, and really, you know, this is going to be exacerbated. If you're someone who avoids conflict and your family dynamic, forget marriage, right? Before you got to marriage, your family dynamic was to say that, well, we don't argue, we don't bring up disagreements. Um, Then you want in and out of this process as quickly as possible. And you can't understand why anybody else doesn't feel exactly the same way. Um, And so any of those tendencies about how we argue or what skills we bring to the table when we're trying to negotiate um, may have to do with gender, but they could also have to do with your culture, your birth order, your family dynamic of how you saw your parents disagree with one another. Um, It could be your professional training, right? And we could make uh, sometimes jokes and sometimes reality about, you know, engineers, like there is a truth things are right or wrong. Um, And so the idea that in other contexts, things are mushy and gray, uh, as they often are in divorce negotiations. Um, There's not a lot of black and white. (laughs) Right. And and that becomes a stress. Uh, So as I've I've looked at gender, because it is incredibly well studied uh, in terms of negotiation behavior, and it might not at all have anything to do with what skills you bring to the table in negotiation. Uh, and so that's kind of my big caveat for each of your listeners to think about, you know, where are your skills coming from uh, and what might be the, the genesis of anything that happens. Um, for anybody who feels that 
they're going to be in a negotiation where the other party is going to talk over them, where they're going to be railroaded. Um, I think, again, there are several tools that you can use. Um, one is that preparation, right? Being really clear on what your priorities are um, and what your goals are and regularly checking yourself against where are my goals and how am I accomplishing those? Um, setting your limits and making sure that you are not agreeing to something at the table just because you want it to end, right? If, some, if you're yeah. getting close to your limits, get up, take a break, take a walk around the block, ask for a restroom break. Nobody actually argues with you for that. Right? <laughs> They're going to let that happen. They let that happen. <laughs> so take that, walk down the hallway, take a deep breath, and just assess the situation. Make sure that this is an agreement that you agree to not only right now, but that when you wake up tomorrow morning, you're going to be able to agree to it. That if you were explaining it to your best friend, you would be able to justify it. And if you don't think that this is an agreement that you would advise, you'd be proud explaining or that you would advise a friend to make, then you shouldn't. Um, and you should back away and reassess where you're going. Um, I think there are a couple of those different kinds of tools, both in terms of our preparation as well as what we're doing at the table that can help us um, feel less pressure uh, and feel more confident. Um, and if you're in a mediation, I think it's useful to flag to the mediator that this is what you are concerned with, um, that you can always take a break, uh, as we've discussed, but you can also always take a break with the mediator and talk through what's on the table, what's happening right now. Um, if you need that, you if you feel like you want to go back and check with a financial advisor, do that and take a break. Uh, breathe overnight about the agreement. Make sure that this is the best thing for you and for your children um, and for the long term, right? All of those kinds of checks. Um, and then, of course, uh, one of the other examples you used is somebody who is a more linear thinker and they want it done. Uh, yeah. And many of us, I uh, often use the example of uh, an onion or an artichoke. Um, sometimes we are linear thinkers. It, it may link to your profession, uh, it may link to your gender, but it might not have anything to do with that. Um, others of us are more like an onion, and so there are layers and we're peeling it off. Uh, and so it feels like we're circling in terms of that agreement and that we're not making progress. And that can be very frustrating to somebody else on the other side who wants that linear progress. Um, and the analogy I use, and feel free to use this in mediation, is that sometimes we have to think about it as a bicycle. The wheels might feel like they are spinning um, as this person is going through their decision-making process, but you are making progress because of it. You just need to let them process that decision-making the way that they communicate, the way that they decide. It's not a right or wrong people operate differently uh, and to recognize that. Um, and again, that can be sometimes the skill set of the mediator, uh, of a lawyer, of an outside party to just flag it's, it's not a right or wrong. It is a difference. And that's okay. Well, such an important point because this happens in almost every mediation that I handle. <laughs> people process information differently. And, you know, I always tell people in a, in a mediation, if somebody puts something out there, a proposal, this is what I'm suggesting. You can say yes, you can say no, you can say no, but I counter with this. And you can say, I need to think about it. 
Thank you. I heard you. This is what I heard. I want to think about it. I want to review it with my financial advisor. I want to review it with my attorney. Those are perfectly acceptable answers. And what I always have to explain then to the other side, who's like, no, 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 I want to decide now is there's no good agreement until both of you are, both of you agree. So if he or she needs additional support, it's to both of your benefit to let them get that. So I think that's such a key, key ingredient. And that's actually very empowering for people in mediation to understand that that's acceptable because it gives them that breather, that space, I think. Right, right. And, and look, the goal of going through this is an agreement that sticks. So the last thing you want to do is force somebody into an agreement that they either don't understand all of the parameters, or they don't agree with the parameters, and then they're trying to unwind it later on. Um, that's just going to take a lot of extra time. And so again, for your linear thinker who wants it done, right, persuading them that they need the time now so that you don't spend the time later. Right. And that's a huge essential part of, of right. mediation. Exactly. And that's why mediated agreements tend to be more successful, perhaps, right. than, than litigated judgments right. sometimes. I've talked about that in some other episodes. But there's one last little, we're, we're actually out of time, but I want to talk about this. So we're going to go over time. Yeah. Um, because I think this is also something that I run into with divorce mediation um, that I know is a benefit, mm -hmm. but that people facing the process don't realize. And one of the, and that is when you go in and you self-advocate, you go in and you negotiate for yourself rather than putting it in the hands of an attorney to do it for you. It is an incredibly empowering process and it helps you to learn new ways of communicating with the person you're negotiating with, which by the way, people, if you're parents and you're getting divorced, you're going to need to continue to be able to talk to each other. So there's a great deal of benefit in self-advocating. Mm -hmm. I, I agree completely. Um, you are really honing in life skills. Uh, and look, if you can demonstrate that you can self-advocate, in a context that is one of the most stressful in your life about interests that are some of the most important to you, everything else is easy after this, right? It really is. Like now you have demonstrated this incredible skill set in which you took a deep breath. And I, I mean, I think it goes back to our original point, Susan. Neither of us are saying that this is easy. I don't walk into my dean's office, who I've been negotiating with for 18 years, right? Yeah. Uh, without like a little bit of a like, ooh, okay, you know, deep breath, let's go ahead and ask for what I want. And a little bit of, you know, square your shoulders, take a deep breath, go ahead and do this. Um, and this is what I teach. Uh, of course, it's a challenge. Um, and so that is part of, uh, as you say, demonstrating the skill set and really for people modeling how they need to communicate in the future, right? Because not communicating is terrible for both the two of you and for the children that are gonna be impacted by a lack of communication. So you need to be really clear about what's important to you, what your interests are, um, what you want to happen, uh, beating around the bush or hoping that it will secretly magically be understood what you want or that there's some sort of mind meld happening with the person you're divorcing, right? That's not happening. It barely happened when you were married. So how can we expect it to happen when you're not? Uh, not married. Right. So being really clear about what's important to you under this rubric of self-advocating 
uh, is a lifetime skill and something that's going to make, you know, for better or worse. So if you're going to disagree about something, well, be clear about it. Let's have that expectation of, you know, is drop off five or six or seven? Is it include Fridays or Friday evenings? Or, you know, how do we believe, you know, what do we think about this summer camp or whatever it is? Have that conversation out in the open. Um, it's more respectful. It's more clear. It's more understandable. Uh, and that's just better for the long term, um, which will be that ongoing communication. You're not doing anybody any favors uh, in this relationship to not figure out this skill set. So take a deep breath. You can always practice on your parents, uh, people who love you regardless. Practice on your teenagers who will, of course, think that you're, you know, the village idiot regardless. Also, they're stuck with you. Um, but right, it's really like, let's work on this skill because you're going to be better off in the long run having it. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself, which is why you're the professor. So and, and you know, really what strikes me right there is what it all comes down to is negotiation is another form of communication. You know, it's really essentially at its core, another communication, a very important communication and a skill set. So thank you so much for taking the time to share all of this expertise with my listeners. My it's such a critical part of this process. So thank you. I will put a link to your TEDx talk in the show notes. I, I please people go watch it. First of all, it's funny. So <laughs> there's funny. It makes me laugh, but it's also just there's a wonderful level of of information given in a very. Um, uh, approachable manner there, but, um, and I'll have links to, uh, where people can buy your books, but can you just let listeners how to know how to reach out to you? I do want to point out to anyone listening that you do, um, trainings in negotiation for corporations, uh, law firms, things like that. So how can people get in touch with you? You can always reach me, uh, at Marquette and my email is andrea.schneider at marquette.edu, or you could just Google me and you can find me at Marquette. Well, thank you again, and uh, we, I appreciate your being here. A pleasure. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond. Thank you.